This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. My name is Nick Limsdahl. My guest this week is Tiffany Perkins Munz. She is the head of marketing data and analytics at JPMorgan Chase. She's also a PhD and senior leader with 20 years of expertise in driving and efficiently executing initiatives to help firms compete with analytics, using data to provide visionary business strategy planning and leadership in highly complex and vital environments. Tiffany, welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. Hi, Nick. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. I am happy you're here. So one question that I ask every single guest at the very beginning is what's one thing people might not know about you? Um, I think people find it interesting that I used to own a boxing gym. Um, I owned a boxing gym in Princeton, New Jersey called uh, Title Boxing Club for several years. It's the kind of activity where you go into the class, you wrap your hands, you put on gloves, you work out on a heavy bag in a class with a trainer and uh, you can, you know, you could burn a thousand calories in that session. And so people are always like, what? You did what? (laughs) But I did. Um, I left uh, the street, the Wall Street for several years um, to do this personal business venture. That's amazing. I I tried that. I think I got a a couple weeks. You tried boxing? Yeah. Yeah. I did that for, no, I didn't, I didn't have my own, my own gym. Uh, but I had the experience of putting on the gloves and wrapping the hands and, okay. uh, but yeah, you were definitely, I was definitely drenched at the end of those Yes. at the end of the day. So yeah, great before you workouts. see guys, yeah, you see peeps that have been there for already five, five, 10 years and they're barely sweating that first half. I'm like, come on guys, you're making me look bad. What's up with that? <laughs> so very cool. That's very, yeah. very cool. So how do you. You know, how did you use the data and analytics at the gym to bring in the right people or when when to hire or? Yeah. Well, part of the reason I actually selected that um, opportunity as a franchise was because it was relatively new. Um, They were trying to figure out, you know, how they could use data and analytics more effectively in making decisions about things like location. How do you decide? what the best location is for that type of facility, right? And really doing modeling to understand the dynamics of a location, what other big big box stores would be there that would draw that type of clientele, who would be willing to pay for a niche um, exercise experience, right? Because it is boxing. It's not like it's a full service gym where you could go in and do a number of different activities. So really using data and analytics to help us understand where we should be located within the area, what type of um, doing modeling to determine what type of mall facility we should be in. Should it be like a short strip mall, a larger regional mall? And then using data and analytics to help figure out what type of salesperson slash trainer would be more effective in this kind of role where you're both 
part sales, part trainer, part brand ambassador, and using the data that we collected over time to really help us get better and better at that. So for example, my club had almost 0% turnover. There were like over the course of the five years, there were maybe two or three people who left, um, who moved to other states, who, you know, left the club, but we didn't have a lot, a large amount of turnover. And part of that was because we had put a lot of effort into doing the research and using the data to help us understand, even using information from other clubs that were around what really works in this space and what doesn't, what type of person are you looking for, um, gathering information from them to understand what their expectations were. It kind of like you do in a regular consumer, you know, brand um, relationship. You're really trying to figure out how to help them be most effective and how to help you be most effective in the role. I love that. I didn't, uh, oh, I should have expected you to to dig deep into that, but uh, you full on geeked out on that one. So I, <laughs> I really appreciate that. You know, the one thing that I always like to know is what's the origin story of you getting into the, to the data and analytics? Oh, that's an interesting story. So I started out doing psychology. And I think what people don't realize is that when you start out in psychology, it's a heavily quantitative field, right? Because the idea, I think people think psychology and they think, oh, therapy, sitting on the couch, Freud, you know, but the reality is psychology is heavily quantitative because if you do research psychology, like applied psychology, you're really trying to understand why people are doing what they're doing, different behaviors you want to do. You want to use statistics to understand what's meaningful and what's not, what's significant and what's not in terms of outcomes. And so I started down that path and in doing so, started taking a lot of statistics courses in my graduate program. And subsequently had taken so many statistics courses by the time that I graduated that they were like, you know, you could do a joint degree in statistics, right? And I was like, oh, wow. Um, so I ended up with a degree in social personality psychology and an interdisciplinary concentration in advanced quantitative methods which I know is a mouthful and no one goes around saying that, um, but it's really applied statistics. Like how do you apply statistics to really understand everyday outcomes and activities, um, business decisions, educational outcomes, et cetera, right? So it is one of those, those ideas that are, you can extrapolate across a lot of different industries in thinking through behaviors. Um, so I started down that path and then got into statistics, ended up really enjoying that part of it. So when Thomas Davenport in 2012 came out and said, data science, the new sexy field, you know, I was like, whoa, you know, I've been doing this forever. Like now I'm new and sexy. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> I love sign it. me Bring up. Bring it on. Sign me up. And um, so then I really, I'd, al I'd also been doing, I left market research pretty early. I started out in market research, Morgan Stanley, pretty early in my career. And so I had been in financial services for a very long time, really doing the application of research, analytics, statistics to solving business problems, answering questions, improving the customer experience. So I would say that it was I didn't start out thinking this was what, what, what I was going to do, but I was looking for an opportunity to really do something that was 
not industry specific. I wanted to do something that would allow me, I've always been very interdisciplinary in the way that I think and in my approach. And I wanted to do something that would allow me to take the interdisciplinary learnings, like the different analyses that happen in healthcare and apply those to financial services to answer, right? I've always been in that space. So as a result, I think I ended up doing things that really um, facilitated those opportunities and led me into sort of, you know, the d- deeper into data analytics, data science, data engineering, et cetera. So I think it's fascinating that you kind of went full circle. You were talking about that everybody should use it. And then you went into this rabbit hole and I tried to put my hands over my head and, and hoping to catch a few things that you did say. But um, in all seriousness, I think it's important that that you are talking about it and how it aligns with everybody. It aligns with the the business, how the business should be talking about the data consistently. And I think, uh, and, and maybe it's just my perspective, but um, people are saying, well, that's great. It's kind of like customer experience. Well, that's great, but you focus on customer experience. I think the same is true yeah. with data is data is saying, people are saying, well, that's great, but you focus on the data. I'll, I'm going to keep that at arm's distance and you focus on that and then you tell me what you what you think we should do but you know i think you have a different approach so why do you think everybody else should be talking about the data well i think data accessibility is really important because it's we are all at every juncture generating data providing information about ourselves people are picking up information about ourselves. Even when you use your cell phone, you call the phone, a tower that's located nearby is basically saying, oh, Nick was there at 1 p.m. because we saw his phone, right? So that is a piece of data that is helping people Um, the ecosystem understand where you go and what you're doing and if you're in stores and if you're buying. And if you go into the new Amazon stores now where you just walk in and you can just make purchases without even swiping really, right? Um, So I think that people have to realize that the new world order is all about data generation and we all have to be cognizant of it, aware of it. We all have to think critically through it so that we understand how data plays in our lives. Because the reality is everyone's like, oh my God, all these privacy issues now, right? Like data privacy. It's because corporations really haven't created a a situation or an ecosystem where they are collaborators with consumers around how we how they use the data, right? So to the extent that we start that partnership, I think it would be for the benefit of the consumer, but also for the benefit of corporations. The reality is data is everywhere. We're generating it all the time. We need access to it, even when we're thinking through our own decisions about what we might want to do on an individual level. And then when you aggregate that to groups of people, to communities, to countries, right, to corporations, um, it really helps you to understand the importance of even thinking through what data means to you in your individual life and how that drives like the decisions that you make and how that impacts the broader decisions of a community or a corporation. Like even the brands that you choose, right? How do you decide that? Yeah. Yeah. I I would like to maybe even have another episode about how do people choose brands and, and what's that process? And maybe it's around, it has to do with emotion, but it also has to do with, the data and how to 
how are they thinking about it? Well, how does it make them feel? And there's a lot through that through that process. But one of the things that you did touch on was talking about being a critical thinker. So what is the best way to be a critical thinker through that data? It's always asking why and how. You know, even when you watch TV and you see a poll, you should interrogate that because statistics can be used to tell a story one way or to tell a story another way. And to keep yourself educated, you shouldn't just believe it because it shows up on CNN and that's what you follow or because it shows up on Fox and that's what you follow. You should always ask, what does this number mean? How many people were were in this sample? What is this really telling me? Is this statistically significant or is this just some spurious finding that they're reporting on? You have no way of knowing. And but you can with a little interrogation. And I'm not suggesting, by the way, that you need to be a statistician, a psychometrician, an economist in order to do this. I am saying that you need to ask basic questions like who was in that sample? You know, how many people were polled? Right. Because even without knowing how many you need to have or you as an intelligent individual can figure out that if they pulled five people and they're telling you that this is what they anticipate to happen in the race, that is probably not valid. Right. So I'm just using that as an extreme example. But there are very simple things that you can question about information that you get um, that will help you to be a more critical thinker through data. And then once you start building that muscle, you'll start doing it everywhere. When people say things like, um, if you buy one, you get this one for half off, right? It's a ploy because now you're spending more money buying something that you wouldn't have bought otherwise. You didn't even want that second one, but because they use that psychological ploy to say, oh, buy this one and you get that one half off. Now you're like, oh, I'm getting a deal. But think about it. Are you really getting a deal? Maybe you are if you're going to take that thing and give it to someone who needs it, but maybe you're not because you're spending more money in the in the outcome, right? So all of those things, and people do this every day, by the way, they just don't realize it. They're in stores, they're making considerations, they're making purchases, they're on their mobile phone, they're deciding what to do, they're searching for things. All of that is generating data and information to help inform decision-making. And we have to think about it, not just as an activity that we're doing, but as a information that's coming into us, into our computer to help us make decisions. And that's what critical thinking is. Yeah, we are either influencing others or we're being influenced every day. Every day. And so... If you're asking the the right questions outside of the information that you just received, pulling the the emotion away from it for a minute and saying, what are they trying to accomplish here? What's yeah. the goal of this of this survey of, hey, we hit a, a 99% NPS score. Okay, great. Tell me more about that. Like, right. who did you survey? Did you sur- survey all your, your happy customers? But yeah, it's... Right. it's it's so interesting. And how can you use it to, to provide transparency? And so you are saying, here's the survey, but also here's the information behind it. If you want to learn more information, here's, here's where you can get that. You know, I think people can, and organizations can use that data mm-hmm. to have a, a competitive difference. Um, but from your perspective, how do they go about doing that? How do they leverage that that data 
to maintain that edge? I think the key is really understanding the consumer. What I've what I've noticed in my career is that people have a tendency, organizations, corporations, firms have a tendency to go right to a new idea, right? Oh my God, there's this great campaign that we should run targeting some group of people. And they go through creating the, coming up with the concept, creating the, um, building the creative, laying out the campaign strategy, but they often skip a critical step because I think it takes more time in their minds, which is really talking to the consumer, right? Understanding who should you be targeting? Why are you targeting them? Is that the right segment of the population? Is there another segment that you could be targeting? Do these people have something similar? Is that what they really want? Is it something that they need? Is it adding to their lives? I mean, the questions go on and on, but that first step of really understanding why you want to do that campaign, but in a lot of detail, because I think people get caught up in like women like this, you know, or the African American community is behaving like this. Right. And I think you have to take that to another level where you're really thinking through what behaviors are people exhibiting or performing that help them to become a unified group. Right in terms of how they purchase your product, because then only then when you start thinking psychographically, behaviorally, firm, firm wide outside of these sort of basic demographics, do you really get to a place where you can really understand your consumer? Um, And you can only do that with consumer research. And people are often they're like, oh, that takes a long time. I don't want to do that. So they end up doing these spray and pray methods or throwing spaghetti against the wall and hoping it sticks. And it just it's really not cost efficient um, and it's not an effective customer experience strategy because then you end up hitting Nick with so many things that he doesn't know what to click on, what to do, what to who to call. He has no idea. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much to that. And I think you were talking about people or organizations are generalizing based off of personas and that doesn't necessarily make it right. And, and you gave a couple of examples there. One of the examples I thought was pretty funny and I just pulled it up just so I, I could remember it, but it's, um, it's a male born in 1948 raised in the UK, married twice, lives in a castle, and is wealthy and famous. And there's two options. One is Prince Charles, and one is Ozzy Osbourne. Right! <laughs> the complete opposite that complete you would think opposite. of. Yeah, and and it's just, it's not necessarily about, uh, it's, it's about what are the problems and challenges that people face. It's not necessarily yes. about what is that specific group of people and what are they trying to accomplish? Because it's all going to be different. But right. it's the it's the outcome that they're trying to achieve is the is what they're trying to is what they're trying to accomplish. But I thought that was funny. So I had to that share. That is pretty funny, especially in today's world where people are, you know, boundaries are blurred in terms of who does what, how it's done, um, what the expectations are of different groups, um, theoretical groups. Like it's all mixed up now. So the idea is you really want to understand to your point, how are people behaving and what are their expectations and what are they trying to achieve? And then how does your brand, your product, your service, your firm help them in that journey? In a competitive market, does your customer service stand out from the crowd? 
One way to offer a better experience is by moving your contact center to the cloud. But with so many options to choose from, how do you know which solution is the best for both your business and your customers? That's where VDS comes in and guides you to the best solution. They understand your clients' pain points, business outcomes, and goals. Then VDS designs, implements, supports, and provides 24-7 managed services. From start to finish, VDS is committed to finding the best solutions for your clients' needs. To learn more, go to www.govds.com or find a link in the show notes. Yeah, and specifically on the journey, there's a lot of times where organizations, and I'm generalizing, so bear with me, but uh, they don't necessarily bring in that customer and say, well, where did you get stuck? And where were you frustrated? And where were the friction points? And mm -hmm. how do you think we can improve as an organization? Instead of they just kind of throw out this whiz bang, next best technology, or, hey, I think we should be doing this. Well, thinking is going to get you in trouble. Right. And <laughs> when when you roll this out and you wait for it and you're what you're like, the customer's going to love this. I can't right. wait. And they start calling in and they're frustrated because of it it destroyed some other experience. Um yeah, and why why is that? Why why do organizations not listen to that customer and focus on that entire customer journey? Yeah, I think from a data and analytics perspective, it's really hard. Um so if you think about all the data that a corporation brings in to really understand that customer journey, and then if you, under, if you think about all of the complexity that an individual represents, just think about all the categories that you might represent as an individual and multiply that times the number of people in the US even before we even go global, right? And then coupled with the fact that historically, corporations have really been siloed in the way that they deal with consumers, right? You could be Procter & Gamble, but, you know, the toothpaste is, is has a list, the, the cereal has a list, the sauce has a list, like they're not, historically, they have not been places where things connect to bring the consumer experience. So if you think about a spreadsheet, you have products down your columns, right? And you have consumers going across. Historically, people have thought product focused in a, this is our product, is it profitable or not kind of way. But really it's about customer lifetime value across all of your products. And how do you make that unification across product and then how they represent a broader group. So it's a way, it's a, you kind of have to flip the spreadsheet and start thinking about profitability and revenue and things like that in a different way in order to really understand the journey. But that flipping of the spreadsheet that I just told you is hard because all of those products are in silos, which means now they have to be connected. And it's just, it's not like, oh, here's Nick's name and here's Nick's name, let's connect it. Nick is probably one, two, three, four in that file and seven, eight, nine, zero in this other file. And how do you make sure that Nick over here is Nick over here and bringing that together? And now you have that across multiple products. So it becomes a, it's not that corporations don't wanna do it, it's just that it becomes challenging, which is why cloud technology is really important in this space, but it is a challenging undertaking and endeavor. So even 
when you train systems through machine learning to get smarter, it it's a it's a trial and error process where the machine kind of figures out what works and what doesn't. Um, but it all goes back to data, right? Because garbage in, garbage out. You really have to, and and that means that you have to make sizable investments in getting your data right. You don't have to boil the ocean, right? But you have to start somewhere and say, for this select group or for these select boundaries, we are going to get the data right so that we can do the marketing effectively. We know that our campaigns are properly targeted, et cetera. Um, and that is an expensive and time-consuming endeavor that not every corporation is ready to make or is you know, positioned to do. But I think people are... Um, quickly moving in that direction. But it, it, when people see that it's not working, it's because it takes time. And I think in our new, you know, Apple phone mindset, we're like, what do you mean it takes time? Everything happens instantaneously, see? <laughs> but this kind of effort, especially with corporations that are huge, really take time. Man, this is one of those episodes where you can't just listen to once. Um, I would recommend <laughs> just going back to the last two and a half minutes and stopping and replaying it and going back again a couple of times because there's so much truth bombs in there that need to be opened. And, you know, just focusing on the customer lifetime value is, like you said, is hard. I mean, it's it's what organizations should be doing mm-hmm. when you have multiple products or multiple services or different departments and people are managing or measured on different levels. And sometimes they're saying, well, that's great, Tiffany. However, I'm not I'm not measured on the customer lifetime value. Right. I'm measured on X, whatever X is. Yeah. How do you continue to anticipate and and educate those people um, who are not necessarily who are in that that negative camp? In that, yeah. Uh, I think it's great. However, uh, we need to be focusing on this, not not on the total customer lifetime value. Yeah, I think. The proof is in the pudding. Like you really have to sway them through the use of analytics to illustrate why it is critically important and even sufficiently impactful to revenue and profitability that you are focusing on the whole consumer as opposed to one thing or activity or product that the consumer uses. And in order to do that, I one suggestions in any way is to, as I mentioned earlier, to not try to boil the ocean. I think people launch in and they're like, we're going to show everyone why this and how this works, but just pick a small segment of the population, you know, target a particular group and really try to illustrate for that group the impact of looking at individuals holistically and then aggregating that understanding to what is to look at the impact of that view versus a very product specific view? And what do you get out of this more comprehensive holistic view that actually fuels revenue and profitability for the entire enterprise or firm versus this product specific view that is successful within this product, but has very little benefit to the broader organization because the broader organization has no idea what's happening over there in that view, right? So I think that's the, and you got to chip away. It's, it's, you know, it's a steady state of chipping away and slowly getting 
broader consensus and understanding. It's a data literacy exercise, actually, because people are very focused to your point on how they're being incentivized to be productive, right? And so, and that's a mindset change. It's a change management exercise. It's not something that's going to happen overnight, but slowly chipping away and building consensus helps people to understand how they should change and then working with them so that it's not a wholesale, like, oh my God, you're restructuring the way that I do business the way I think, but they slowly, gradually begin to operate and function in a way that helps them continue their success but now really build a successful structure for the broader organization. That's good. Uh, I, I really appreciate that breakdown. Um, what role does storytelling play in the data and analytics role uh, at, at your level? Because it's not just saying, hey, here's your numbers. Guys, figure right. this out, improve, be better. Or, hey, way to go, high five. It's, yeah. But tell me more about that. It's huge. And so when I am looking for data scientists now, sometimes I call them data journalists and I write the job description as a data journalist because it is not um, sufficient in today's world for you to be a numbers cruncher, sitting in the back, running models. Most firms just don't have the capacity to have that person or that team just doing that. Most firms need someone who can build the model, they understand the statistics, but then they can take it and reduce it into bite-sized, digestible pieces of information that they can share broadly that anyone can understand, right? That second graders can understand. Like you really need to be able to tell a story to different levels, like even the CEO of your firm. The CEO of your firm may not speak statistics, right? They might not know what a hierarchical linear model is and, and what that means when you show them the output, even if they know what output is, right? So you want to be able to tell that story and help them understand the impact of what the analysis is um, in a very easy to understand way. And storytelling is key. I mean, it is the way that you are communicating the benefit. I've seen so many cases where People do this really complicated analysis and the analysis is fabulous, but they just cannot figure out how to take that and translate it into something that, you know, talking to people in terms of beta weights and regression, they don't have no idea. Like, oh yeah, the beta weight, they're like, what does that mean? What did that show us? I don't understand, right? So taking it and translating it into a easy to follow story with the very, you know, um, well-known story structure, like there's a beginning, there's an arc, there's an outcome, there's an interpretation that works really well. And you can do that very simply, but it is a skill. You don't just do the analysis and all of a sudden you have this skill. You really have to practice um, at being able to tell that story in a meaningful way. And sometimes telling the story, people will ask questions that then subsequently help you to clarify your story or to use different language to help tell it in a more um, comprehensible way. So when you were at university, did they teach you storytelling? 
while you were there during for the data and analytics part? So one of the things that my university did, which in grad school, which was amazing, was critique and redesign. It was a program. This was the CUNY Graduate Center. They were focused on critique and redesign. So we did a lot of critique this research, now redesign it and tell us how you would do it differently, what you might change, what would be, how you would do it better, what you might do today that they didn't do yesterday. And in doing so, you have to pull the story apart and then tell it in a way that people who don't necessarily, who weren't involved in the research, right, um, would understand. And so inherently they didn't call it storytelling, but that's subsequently what what it was. We were redesigning a research initiative um, in an easy to understand way so that people could decide how, if it were better than the previous way that it had been executed. And so I think storytelling doesn't really happen as storytelling typically in academia, but it comes out in ways that analytics professionals and, and professors Um, have students talk through the research that they've done. Because I think people are a little hesitant, like storytelling, like we're quants. What are you talking about storytelling, right? Like we we do models (laughs) and stuff. We're we're way past that. (laughs) Right. And so people are hesitant, but I do find that a lot of professors are weaving this concept into the execution of the analytics. Like, now tell the class how you did that and what that meant and what the implications are. And so you start to build those storytelling skills, even though maybe it's not called storytelling. Man, I'm so glad that, that your university did that because I feel like there's a lot of people who are experts in data and analytics, but they can't share the story. They can't right. get it past their the screen and uh, on through through their mouth and saying, this is how it impacts the business. This is why it's important to right. you. This is why you should care. Here's the the reason that we're doing X, Y, and Z and into a storytelling format. So I mean, listen, I, I'm a I'm a statistician and I've had people who have done analyses walk me through what they've done. And at the end, I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? What did you just say to me? Like, what just happened? I have no idea. Right. So it's not I I definitely want to, you know, make it clear that you I don't want people just assume they should have the skill just because they do statistics. You could be a super smart statistician running, building complex models. It is something you have to practice. And if you realize you don't have it or you feel like you need help, you should go out and start practicing it and bringing it into the fold of what you do. Um, And you can do that every day, by the way. Like we were talking about all those stats you see on TV. You can start talking to your family, people. Oh, what did you think about that stat? What do you think that stat meant, right? And that helps you. It's not like you have to go out and get a university course in it, which would be helpful, by the way. But if you don't wanna do that, just trying to think critically through the things that you see on TV and that you experience every day, and then talking them through will help you build that storytelling skill. Yeah, but what that takes is is being uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. And people are so focused in their lane and they're like, I'm an expert in this. Yes. And that whole storytelling just sounds really artsy and I'm not really ready for that. 
because right. I, I know I'm really good at this and I'm going to stay in this lane. Yes. If you want to go to the other four lanes over there before I hit my exit, I'm going to, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay yeah. in the left lane and just keep on running. I'm here. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Go around me if you need, but uh, I'm good. Then they Got my can't cruise work control. for me. All that yeah. means is that they can't work for me. And I That's think awesome. they probably will lose opportunities to work in many other places because Everything now is telling data through stories, right? Netflix telling data through stories. All the streaming, pro, you know, activity is telling data through stories. Um, ads on TV telling data through stories, right? Cons- banking telling data. Everything is telling data. I mean, telling stories through data. Sorry. Mm. So it is very important that you be able to do that. Good. All right. So anybody who doesn't have that mindset is listening to this podcast, do not apply for a role with <laughs> Tiffany. Heads don't. up. Just yeah. Anybody it. else is, uh, <laughs> hit me up and I'll, I'll make the introduction. But um, so I, I wrap up every podcast with two questions, Tiffany. And the first mm-hmm. one is, what book or person in customer service or customer experience has influenced you the most in the past year? And then the second one is, if you could leave a note to all customer service and or even customer experience professionals, even if you want, we'll get crazy and talk about the data and analytics professionals. Pick one of those three and it would hit everybody's desk that has that role Monday at 8 a.m. What would it say? Um, so to the first question, mm-hmm. the experience that has really resonated with me, it's not a book and it's not like a generic experience. I recently, um, I'm moving from my house to a new home. And part of what we had, we have a septic system and we had to have our septic system replaced. Now, this is not something that you customarily do. You don't have no idea what the rules are. You have to deal with the municipality. They have to bring out people to do permitting. You have to get a septic system um, firm that knows what they're doing. There's all of this complexity that is not something that you you know um, already. And we hired um, a septic system company who really, to me, exemplified what customer service is. First of all, they walked us through every single step that we needed to take in with the municipality, with the permitting, with the water um, company. How do we deal with this? Who do we talk to? What do we say? Um, they also followed up almost every day. Like, here's where we are in the process, um, Dr. Perkins Munn. Here's what we've done so far. Here's what's outstanding. Here's what you need to do at this point. And then after you do that, we'll do the, I literally, in every interaction I've ever had in my life, and that means banks and phones and everything that I've bought, I have never experienced this type of customer service. And they're a little septic system company that very few people will come into contact with because they don't, most people don't have septic systems anymore. But I was thinking, my God, and I said this to the the lady, if you could bottle this entire experience that you have just executed here with me and sell it, you would be rich because this is what people are looking for. They're looking for follow through knowledge. They're looking for people who's care, who are keeping them updated, who give them the step-by-step and help them do a complicated task without assuming, oh, you should know how to do that. So this is, so that to me was the quintessential customer um, service experience. It's the best one I might've had in my whole life, in fact, because it was a very complicated thing as well. 
And then the two things that I would tell all customer service representatives, the two words, and they're the two K's, I would say, well, not the two K's, I would say um, one N and one K. (laughs) I would say be nice and be knowledgeable. And I can't I can't really explain why those two things are so important and they go hand in hand, but being nice, like really some people are just abrupt and not nice and really shouldn't be customer service representatives. And I know nice sounds like kind of cliche, like of course, every customer service, but how many times have you encountered a not nice customer service rep? I have plenty. And it goes so far when you're trying to figure out something, you're confused, you're frustrated to get someone who's nice on the phone. That should be a given. Everybody in the world can be nice. You don't even need a course for it. Even if you're just starting out, you can be nice. The other thing is knowledgeable, like really knowing your work, your position, what happens in your role, what customers need to do, troubleshooting, how they should troubleshoot, how you can help them. Knowledge isn't that you have to know everything. Knowledge is that you can make the right connections to make sure you get people through the process in an easy, you know, an easy to handle way. Because the number one driver of customer satisfaction and, and net promoter, like whether or not people will recommend you, is really were they able to resolve what they were trying to resolve whether it was just something they were trying to open an account or trying to resolve some, you know, problem resolution. Um, so those two things, being nice and knowledgeable, go hand in hand and are two things that I think can are easily accessible and you should strive for as a customer service rep, for sure. Some sound advice. <clears throat> this episode was a complete knockout. It wasn't a technical <laughs> knockout. It was... A knockout, uh, bringing it full circle here. Uh, Tiffany, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you and connect with you? Um, I'm on LinkedIn as Tiffany Perkins Munn. Feel free to uh, join me there. And I write a blog there on data and analytics, which, you know, will give you a lot of more detail around how I think through data and analytics. And you can join in the conversation even and, you know, offer your own perspective and commentary there. Very cool. I will make sure that is in the show notes. So please take a peek at that there. But uh, thank you so much for your time. I've learned a lot, had a lot of fun and uh, wishing you nothing but success. Thanks, Nick. I hope we can do this again. Let's do it. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to press1fornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.